So John 1, and we'll read verses 1 through 18. A little bit more than what we read in the call to worship, but we'll read 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lights every man that comes into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came to his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him, and he cried out, saying, This was he of whom I spoke. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received in grace for grace." For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Father, I read these words. And how, how in the world could we, as human beings, totally grasp the truth that has been given to us? Lord, it's been said in one of my commentaries that these first 18 verses of the Gospel of John, entire seminary programs, entire schools could just look at this and emphasize these 18 verses and never exhaust what can be taught from them or what can be learned from them and how they can be applied and how absolutely needed to be understood in truth they are. Lord, these, these are words that, that have shaken and, and, and have, been, have acted like a lightning bolt into humanity. It's changed everything. Lord, this turned a world upside down and continues to turn the world upside down from the truth that is contained in these verses. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us this morning as I bring forth just a glimpse of this truth to your church. And I pray, Lord, that you would enable me to do that and that you would also, by the Holy Spirit's power, enable us as a church to glean, to receive, to be affected, and, and to be completely saturated with this truth that as, so that when we leave here, we would actually live out the things that we've heard from this, from this word. God, I pray for your power 
because I cannot articulate in any way anything that would help your people on my own. So Lord, I pray for your help this morning. God, that your Holy Spirit would convey these truths to the very, very being of your people. God, that you would help us. In Jesus' name, amen. I love the book of John. Do you? Some of my most favorite texts come out of this book. I I love probably my most favorite story in the Bible is the woman at the well. Jesus said in John 4, man, I have got to go through Samaria. I mean, you don't go through Samaria, Samaria as a Jew. The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other, so the Jewish people would cr- actually cross over the Jordan, walk north, cross back over the Jordan, just so that they would not go through Samaria because they were a bunch of half-breed people, and, and they just they hated each other. They had, in essence, different religions. And yet Jesus said in John 4, Man, there is a God-calling drive within me that I must go see this child of mine and tell her about living water. I love John 4. Who doesn't enjoy reading John 3, where where Jesus tells Nicodemus that, that he must be born again, and that call goes to the entire world. Does The Bible doesn't tell us to be a church member or to be religious. The Bible says that in order to have a relationship with God, you must be born of God. And who who could not be absolutely astounded by what we read in John chapter 6 and on and on and on? This gospel is an amazing story of who Jesus Christ is. It was written about 60 years after Christ died and ascended to the throne in heaven. Last gospel that was ever written. One of the last books that was written. Revelation would be after it. Both John, the gospel, and the book of Revelation was written by that beloved disciple who rested upon the bosom of Jesus Christ. I thought about that. I, I thought... Wow, there's no better disciple to to write through the Holy Spirit's inspiration about who Jesus Christ was than that one who loved and was loved so much. He was the one that didn't flee. He took care of the Lord's mom after he went to heaven. John was not martyred, but they tried to martyr him for for his faith in Jesus Christ. John is writing this gospel at a time, you know, 60 years on. All of Paul's letters are written. You know, Paul's in heaven now. All the disciples are gone. There, there's been enough time to where heresy has entered the church. And John, through his epistles, were, was dealing with some false teaching that was going on. And, and now John, as an old man, inspired by the Spirit of God, writes this book to tell us who exactly, without any doubt, without any, without any uh, misgivings, to know for a fact, once you read this book, who Christ is. And it was the last thing written as a gospel. And it was written in view of what the previous three had already said. This is one reason why John is so different from the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke 
they, they contain a lot of the same stories. They're very much overlapping. They tell the kind of, you know, the same kind of message. And they were talking about the life and ministry of Jesus. But John goes beyond that. About, as a matter of fact, about 90% of what is contained in the Gospel of John is not contained in the other Gospels. And that makes sense to me because there's a specific pur- purpose in John that the other three don't really emphasize. You see, there are many significant events in the ministry of Jesus that Matthew, Mark, and Luke include, but John leaves out. When you read the Gospel of John, you, you immediately see that the birth of Christ is not in the Gospel of John. His baptism, his temptation in the wilderness, the story of the Last Supper, the, his agony and tears of, of blood that he, that he cried in Gethsemane, they're not there. His ascension is not in the Gospel. That the, 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 the times that he came across uh, the, the demonic spirits, not in the Gospel of John. The parables are not in the Gospel of John. John has one purpose, and one purpose only, th- that his Gospel is for. The first three Gospels, they center on the ministry pretty much in Galilee. John centers his ministry on what Jesus said and did in Jerusalem. There's one purpose for this book, and you can find it within the book itself. John doesn't mince words. He tells you exactly why he has written this gospel. And we find that, that reason in John chapter 20, verse 31. He says, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. In that believing, you may have life in his name. What's the whole purpose about the Gospel of John? Here is this old man, not too far from going to see his Savior in heaven himself, and he writes this Gospel to close out all of the stories about Christ, to tell him, to tell the world that Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus of Nazareth, the man that walked, the one that you tried to shove off that cliff in Nazareth, the one that you crucified later in Jerusalem, he is the Messiah. He's the one that you have been waiting for. He's the one that will bring man and God back into relationship with one another. So John begins this gospel in these 18 verses. You know, I was reading... There is no way in a 40-minute or whatever sermon that I can actually do these 18 verses justice. I look back through my notes. There have been times that I've preached on various things and topics from these 18 verses. But, man, you really need to, at some point in time, look at them as a whole. Because these 18 verses are what is called a prologue. They're an introduction to the gospel. It's kind of like when you get a book. You know, you get a book and you read that prologue. It kind of tells you what the book's about. It gives you a direction of where, you, where you're starting and where you're ending. And the author kind of gives you some detail that you really is helpful to the understanding of the book. And this is what John does in verses 1 through 18. It's the prologue. He's setting the very foundation of how you, how you read the Gospel of John. Personally, 
I think these, for these 18 verses set the absolute foundation of how you look at Christ, how you see his church, how you see your life. Everything is foundational on these 18 verses. If you get something incorrect out of this teaching, you're going to have a different Jesus. What is it? And I'll just give you the end at the beginning. What is it that John is stating in these 18 verses before he goes and tells you the story of when Jesus turned the water into wine? Before he tells you the story of him meeting Nicodemus? Before he tells you the story of the lady at the well? Before he tells you the story of, of feeding the 5,000? Before he tells you the story of the, of the storm on the sea? Before any of that happens, what is he saying? He's saying, the one that I speak of in this book, the one that I call the Word, he is God. He is God. And folks, you and I cannot get away from the fact that the person that John talks about is God. No matter what the Jehovah Witnesses tell you, no matter what Iglesia de Cristo tells you, that that this word is God. It is absolutely and utterly foundational to what we believe as Christians. And so, let me just briefly give you a synopsis and give you the, 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 a basic understanding of what John is saying here. And this is why I'm doing it. This summer, I want to do one thing. I want to lift up Jesus Christ. I want the emphasis of our summer to be Jesus. Everything that we do, everything that we think about, how we live our life should be under the umbrella of Jesus Christ. There, there's something missing, I think, oftentimes in our life. We get so focused about everything else, we forget really why we're living. I'm not living to preach messages on Sunday. I'm not living to build a church. I'm not, that's not my life. My life really ought to be Christ. And so let's look at what John says. Before he goes into the gospel, he wants them to understand that when you read the story of this Jesus, you need to read it in the understanding of who he really is. John 1, verses 1 through 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The first question you have to ask yourself is, who is this Word? John doesn't tell us yet. He describes the Word, telling us what He is, His purpose, His mission, but he doesn't tell the readers who this Word is. He, he uses this title of the Logos. This Greek word gives us an indication of who he is. He, the one that I'm talking about, John says, is Logos. You know what? A lot of studies, a lot of sermons, a lot of books, a lot of videos have been brought to, been created to describe and to, to, to study and to teach about the Logos. But you know, the best way to understand that term Logos, the English word that we have is word, is simply this. The Greek term simply means speech, principle, a thought. In other words, the Logos, the Word, is a revelation 
of the one who he's, he's representing. He's a rev- revelation of God. It is the idea of to reveal. So John is setting the cornerstone, the foundation of his entire book, that this word, this logos, is the revelation of God. He is God's ultimate communication of truth about himself. This logos expresses and defines the nature and the mode of God's revelation. That God did something very specific to reveal himself to this world. This logos consists of God revealing something about himself through his word. The one that he has to reveal himself. So John, through the Holy Spirit, is revealing something about God through the one called the Word. So I want to give you quickly this morning seven defining characteristics about this Logos, about this one that John takes 18 verses to explain who he is. And again, like I said in the beginning, you could spend the entire summer just preaching on these 18 verses. And I wanted to give you a quick synopsis of this truth. So seven defining characteristics about this Logos, about this Word, about the One who is the Revealer of God. Number one, the Word is eternal. Now you look at that, and and basically in verses 1 and 2, you get the same teaching. In the beginning was the Word, it says in verse 1, and then in verse 2 it says, He was in the beginning. That's absolutely important. Because you know what it means? That means that that Logos was never created. That from the beginning, before time even existed, there was the Logos. It, it, it gives you the idea, and you can't read John 1.1 without thinking of Genesis 1.1. Do you know the Bible never proves God? It only assumes God. There is God. That's the truth you need to deal with, and I'm not going to go any further, the Word of God says. It's just, He always was. Now, this Logos was in the beginning with God. He was always there, just like God has always been. This Logos has always been. There's a lot of false teaching, and this is part why John's telling us this, and false teaching has never changed. There are many groups today that tell us that Jesus Christ was was the brother of Satan. Or he was just another created thing. Or he was not God, but he was a God. And John says this logos, you need to understand. Before I tell you anything else, he always has been. He is eternal. Number two, this logos was in relationship with God. Verse 1, second part, says the Word was with God. Now you read that and you think, okay, this Logos, this Word, has always been in relationship. He was there with God, so that's cool. He then knows God and he has a relationship with Him. But it's so much more than that. It's, we miss so much in, in, in just our simple English translations without really getting, getting into a word study. When it says that this Logos was with God, it's actually meaning that the Logos and God 
had an interactive reciprocal relationship together. In other words, the same. It's not saying that there's this logos that is different than God. It's saying that they are in the way the same thing. The word is eternal and personal and nothing separates God from the word and nothing separates the word from God. You know, you understand this, this relationship that we have with God through the logos We need to understand who our Logos really is. Number one, that he's eternal. Number two, that he was always in that interactive, reciprocal relationship with God. In other words, what you're seeing here is you're seeing the basis and the beginning understanding of the Trinity. Right? This is speaking of the first and the second person of that Trinity, of the three-in-one God. Number three. That third characteristic of this Logos. He's already said that he's eternal. And that he's in relationship with God. And John goes on and basically breaks it completely open and says this. That the Logos, the Word, was God. He is God. He's more than just in relationship with God. He is God himself. The Word is God, there is no other stronger statement in the Bible than this. You you know, certain religious cultic groups will come to your door and say to you that that this Logos is a God, but not God himself. And, you know, and if you don't understand your your Bible, they could probably easy trick you up and they'll say something like, you know what, there's no article there and because there's no article there, then then you have to add the word the because, you know, it needs to be there and, and all of this. And what you need to understand is this, you know what, when the Jehovah Witnesses or the Iglesia Bautista come, come to you and say that that the Logos is not God, all you need to say is, look, you've translated it wrong. There is nothing in the Greek, there's nothing in the original languages that put a the little a God. The translation is that this Logos is God. That's why the Jewish people and the and Jewish religious leaders had such a problem with Christianity. Because Christianity says that the Logos, the word, is God. Point blank. The meaning of John 1.1 is not merely that the word has divine characteristics. But that the word is in reality called God. When you begin to read the stories of the gospel. John is setting the stage that you have to read it through the lens that this word is God. So not only did Is he God? But look what this God did. This Logos. This second person of the Trinity who's always been with the Father because he himself is eternal and he himself is God. Look what he did. He is the creator of everything. Look at verse 3. All things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. That takes us back again, just like the first verse took us back to Genesis 1-1, where it says, in the beginning, God. Now it says, in the beginning, God created. Look who created. 
the very one who was with God. The Bible says that this Logos created all things, and without him nothing was created, nothing was made that was made. We come to this place and we worship the Logos. We sing praise to the Logos. We lift up the Logos. We've given our life to the Logos. Our, lo our Logos has given his life for us. And sometimes I think we just don't really realize who he is. Uh, I have such a fear at times that people think that Christianity and faith in Logos is simply like another club. If I don't like this club, I can join that Christianity club. He is so much more than that. He's the creator of all things. He made everything. When the Bible says that God bent down and breathed life into that first man, Adam, it, it, it was the Logos who created that life. It was the Logos who brought breath into that man. And then the next thing that it says, John so wonderfully describes this Logos as is that he is life himself. Do you see this? Look. The word is eternal. The word is in relationship with God. The word is God. The word created everything. And the word is life. Do you know? What that means right there, that without the word, there is no life. Without the word, life would not exist. The Bible says in verse 4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. To translate it a little bit different, let me, let me say it this way. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his, his life brought light to everyone. Do you know in the Bible it prophesies of this one who John is writing about that he would bring light to the Gentiles, that he would bring light into the dark world, that he would be the one that opens the eyes and the minds of those who are in darkness. It is this very Logos that in him was life and that life was the light of men. What does that mean really? Life is man's most important asset, is it not? Hey, what is the most important thing you have right now, today? It's not your house or your car. It's not the money that's in the bank or under the mattress at, in, at home, whatever. None of that is the greatest asset that you have. And even your children aren't the greatest asset that you have. The greatest asset that you have is life itself. Because without that... You have nothing, right? Without life itself, you do nothing. Without life itself, there's nothing for you or through you or with you or anything. It's the greatest asset that we have. And the Word of God says that the Logos, the Word that's eternal and in relationship with God, who is God, is life and gives life and gives light. Life is man's most important asset. To lose life is tra tra tragic. John affirmed that in the ultimate sense, life is in the Word. Man's spiritual life is in the Word. Man's physical life is in the Word. 
the word itself is life. What a statement. That life, both physical and spiritual, come from him. So in essence, there is no life without the word. Nowhere else does, nowhere else does life come from. You know, it's funny. I've been, I made the mistake of following Ken Ham on Twitter. I like Ken Ham. I think he's, does anybody know who Ken Ham is? About four of us. Ken Ham is an Australian fellow who created this group called Answers in Genesis. Anybody heard of Answers in Genesis? Okay, about three times more. Now, Ken Ham is a young earth believer. He's a Christian. He believes in creationism, that, that God created everything, and he's all the time tweeting different things about that. The wor- most of, about 99% of the people that write comments on his tweets and stuff are unsaved atheists. They hate the fact that we say life, all life, all creation came from God. You know what? I have to believe that it takes more faith to believe what an unbeliever believes about creation than it, than it takes to believe that a loving God created everything. We both agree that this, all of this came from nothing, right? Unsaved and saved people. We all agree. It came from nothing. There was nothing before God spoke it into creation. The atheists agree the same thing. But what they think is that this nothing just all of a sudden became something and life is wonderful and beautiful and intricate and creative as it is came into being. We believe this word of God. That that Logos, that one who is and with God and created life, he's the creator of all these things. Man, and not only did he bring life and is life, but his light, his life brought light to this world. Listen. Verse 4 in the second half. And the life was the light of men. Also, this word that gives life will be a light. Remember, the word is the revelation of God. Logos means that which reveals God. And this Logos is the one that reveals the truth of God. He brings light to the world. He brings understanding to those who are in darkness. He is the truth of God to the world. He's the one that enlightens men. He will tell them the truth. He will open their eyes. The Bible says that this life was the light of man. It is the con- light is the common metaphor John uses for truth, for knowledge of God. So the word is light. The word is the truth and knowledge of God. So this word is the light of men. How often, man, do I see the beautiful picture of a child, a human being, who at once was lost, but now is found. He can say like the blind man, I once was blind, but now I see. I see truth. I see light. Why? Not because I had some intellectual 
uprising and all of a sudden my, my intellect was so much deeper. The reason that that man could see was Jesus. The reason that you and I can see this morning if we're a believer in Christ is because of that Logos. His life brings light to this world. And then John goes on to say that this Logos, as hard as the world tries, as hard as Satan has attacked God from the very beginning, this word, this Logos, will never be overcome. Look at verse 5. The Bible says, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. You say, Pastor, how does that comprehend and overcome? How does that mean the same thing? Well, actually, that word comprehend in the Greek simply means to take, to seize, to possess. And so really the understanding of what, what the original language is trying to, to get across to us is this. That that Logos who is God and eternal and brings life and is light to this world. It will never be put out. It will never be extinguished. It will never be overcome. That Greek word for comprehend is katalambano. And it means to overcome, to possess. Lights, now figure it this way. Sometimes I come into this building at nighttime. And as most people, it freaks me out. It does. My kids, they said, Dad, I'm not going into that church building in the dark without light or something else. Because it's spooky in here. It, this building makes noise. You ever been in this place when it's all shut down and dark? Emily has. It, the rafters creak. The, I don't know how many times I've been in that office thinking that somebody was in this place. And I come out and say, hello, and there's nobody here. Man, when I come in here and it's pitch black at night and I've got to go downstairs to, to get paper out of the storage room at like 11 o'clock at night because I forgot to get some for the printer, I do that. And that little bitty light on my, my, my phone there, that little torch on the phone, it dispels the darkness. It doesn't matter how dark this joint is, that little light cannot be overcome by the darkness. Do you not see what the Word of God is saying? That this Logos, who we are here to worship today, who is eternal and is God in His life and His light, do you know what? Doesn't matter how hard the world will try or Satan will work at it, He will never be overcome. Why? Because light dispels the darkness. And in verse 5 it says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Do you know what? You ought to read your word because there's another verse that kind of explains that. You know, that light that invades the dominion of darkness, that invades Satan, the ruler, and his subjects. They will resist the light. They will fight against the light. But they will be unable to overcome its power. Do you know that is a truth that was written in the very beginning of our book? Adam and Eve had sinned. They have come to the Father after God called them. They had repented of their sin. God made them clothing to cover them. And then he looked at Satan and he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. Do you know what he said? He said, you will hurt 
the coming one. You will attack him and you will go after him. But you know what? That bruise the heel just means that you will cause some damage. But bruising the head means you will destroy the power. So that coming one who is God, who is Logos, who is life, who is light, who is eternal, he will be bruised but not destroyed. One of the things that a lot of the atheists say that, look in the world today, Christianity is dying. No, it's not. Man, there are parts of this world that Christianity is thriving. Unfortunately, it's not thriving in the Western culture. Churches are closing and churches are becoming businesses and, and, and there's very few, the church is not growing in that sense. But places like China, Korea, Africa, the word of God is flourishing. Thousands and thousands of coming to him all the time. In Asia, just in the last 10 to 20 years, just through the Baptist denomination with extensively accurate records, there have been 1.7 million baptisms for Jesus Christ. People who are following the Savior. Do you know why? Because it's this right here. Doesn't matter what you try to do. Doesn't matter if you try to take it out of the schools. Doesn't matter if you in absolutely saturate our society through television and media and radio and entertainment that God is dead. He is not dead. He is certainly alive this morning and he will never be destroyed. And there will come a time, beloved, when that Logos will sit on the throne of God in Mount Zion and will rule this world. Do you know why? Because of this, what it says right here. He will never be over come amen amen hey and then john goes on and i have to close but then john goes on and says of this word that there was a man named john who came to be a witness of that light and of that word he john the beloved was bringing it back to attention to the people that that john the baptist preached about this logos he was the witness why so that all who heard would believe believe what that the, in verse 9, that the true light, which gives light to everyone, has come into this world. You see what the Logos does? Beloved, you don't have to worry about making someone believe. You don't have to worry about uh, trying to convince them of the truth of, of God and of salvation and of Christ. It is the Logos who will do that. Do you know what our only job is? To be a good witness. To be a loving witness. To be a consistent witness. To be a faithful witness. You know, John goes on to say in verse 10, that God has come to you. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But you know what the wonderful thing is? The thing that excites me to the very core is what we find in verse 12 about this Logos. But as many as do receive him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but born of God. 
So far, John, in all these verses, about 13 of them so far, has not told us who this Logos is. He has told us, though, that he is the eternal one. That he is in relationship with God, always has been, in that reciprocal relationship. That he is God. That as God, this Logos created everything. And he is life. He is life to this world. He is light in this world. And no matter what happens, he will not be overtaken. He will not be destroyed. He will not be vanquished. And John says, who is he? Now he tells us. He is the eternal one. He is the one in relationship with God. He is in fact God, the creator of all things, the giver of physical and spiritual life, whom Satan and the forces of darkness cannot nor will ever overtake. He came into this world to give the truth to everyone. The one who is rejected by most yet, but to those who do not reject him, but receive him, they are born again. They are given life through this Logos. Who is he, John? Listen, you came this morning, and he is the one that you worship. You came this morning, and he is the one that we sing about. As you leave today, he, was, he is the one that will continue in, in giving you life and direction and hope and, and all that you have. It comes through this Logos. And now John tells us who he is. And that word became flesh. And he lived among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. We, man, you should read the letters of John. John says, we've touched him, we've held him, we've studied him, we walked with him, and we talked with him, and we know, we know all that we know about him, we will tell you about that one. John says there is no doubt that there is historical reality in the fact that this Logos became a man in this world. He, we beheld his glory as the, of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John the Baptist bore witness of him and cried out saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me. For he was before me. And that statement always blows my mind. Because you know what? John was older than the man he was talking about. Right? John was conceived before the man that he was talking about was conceived. And yet John says, he was before me. Do you know why? Because he has always been. He's the Logos. He's the eternal one. He is God. And now John does it. And of his fullness we have all received in grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses. But this that I speak to you has come through Jesus Christ. What does this mean to you and I? It means, beloved, that listen, the, the Savior that you have, 
The one that you believe in, the one that you came to worship this morning, the one that you read about in the Word when you, when you do your own personal time, the one you witness about, the one that you tell others that if you don't believe in Him, you will die and perish for eternity. Do you know who He is? It is Jesus, and He is eternal. And Jesus has always been in relationship with God. And Jesus is God. He is the creator of all things. Jesus Christ is the life and the light of men. Do you know the only hope that we have for our wayward son is Jesus Christ? The only hope that we have for anybody who is in darkness this morning is Jesus Christ? It's not hope in the church. It's not hope in the soul winner. It's not hope in all the things that we do to try to get the message out. It's hope in Christ himself. Because He is eternal. He is God. He is life. Amen? That Jesus Christ, the Creator, and the life and the light of man will not be overtaken. And it is through Jesus Christ that a person is born again. I don't know about you, but I can have joy today. Even amidst the burdens of life. Even in the midst of the hardships and things that we're dealing with. Even... In the midst of not knowing what tomorrow brings, we have hope and we have joy and we have a reason to worship today and we have a reason to praise God throughout the summer and we have a reason to get up here and sing specials and we have a reason to sacrifice and give and that reason is Jesus Christ. And John says when you read this book and you go through the gospel and you hear the stories of the wine, of the water into wine and the Samaritan lady and Nicodemus and the, and the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 and the, and the ship on the water of the Sea of Galilee and the storm that comes in and all those different stories. The hope is that Logos. And that Logos is Jesus Christ. Amen? You worship and you are alive today and you have salvation because of Christ. I just wanted to say one thing to you this morning. Man alive. Apparently that's one of my favorite statements, but amen. Man alive. There is no one better than Jesus Christ. And you know what? If, I, if we never see Chloe Nuttall again, do you know what my hope is? Our hope is that we will see her one day because of Jesus Christ. She's already warned us that we've not seen the last of her. She's going to harass, I mean, visit us over and over again, and that'll be a blessing. Christian, look up. Believer, have hope. Do not lose hope in the one you're praying for. Because all of our hope, John says, is in Jesus Christ. Because again, he is the eternal one that has always been in that relationship with God. Because he is God. And he is the creator. And he is the life. And he is the light that will never be overtaken, and it is through Jesus that a person is born again. Let's pray.